0: Happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary!
1: two-month break, I welcome you back to the I Am Vinyl podcast on our one-year anniversary of the launch of this podcast. My name is Pete Larusa, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in here at cnjradio.com, or if you're a subscriber via Apple Podcasts. And today's episode is the Vinylversary Edition, Volume 2 solely dedicated to albums that have recently hit a milestone anniversary since Volume 1 was released on April 17th, 2020. Since the last episode, I've upgraded my stylus on my Audio-Technica ATLP 120 USB turntable by switching out my Autophone Red stylus, previously used on the first 20 episodes, to the next step in their chain of styluses, which is the Autophone Blue. I've also launched the I Am Vinyl Podcast Network on YouTube, which I invite you all to check out on my YouTube channel, which you could find by searching for Pete 28 all as one word or by searching for the I Am Vinyl Podcast Network. I currently have 3 videos up including the stylus upgrade and switch out as I mentioned earlier and an unboxing video featuring the Van Halen 45 singles box set from 1978 to 1984, and the recently released original master recording 180 gram vinyl pressing of Twisted Sister's Stay Hungry. Please subscribe to the channel if you enjoy this podcast and my videos. I will be working on more videos in the future, and I welcome any feedback and what you'd like to see on my YouTube channel. Also, another quick note, Episodes moving forward will be shorter as we've lucked out a few times with episodes nearing three hours that uploaded successfully. However, the last episode, just minutes under three hours, proved that I had to shorten all episodes moving forward, and some episodes may require multiple parts moving forward. Now that I've taken care of the promotional work, let's get to the track that opened up this latest episode. With the official start of summer under a week ago and having realized that I'd missed an anniversary back in January, I opened this episode with David Lee Roth's version of the Beach Boys classic, California Girls, in which members of the Beach Boys do appear, and as can be heard in the background vocals throughout the track. This track was taken from his first solo effort, which was an EP entitled Crazy from the Heat, which was released 35 years ago on January 8th, 1985 and would go on to peak at number 15 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. California Girls would go on to peak at number 3 on the Billboard Hot 100 Singles chart. I have great memories of staying at my grandparents' house for winter recess back in winter of 85 and constantly seeing the video for California Girls on MTV. So every time I hear the song or see the video, I'm right back to that time in my life. So let's move on to the second track in this episode. It comes from the first solo album by Iron Maiden frontman Bruce Dickinson. The album I'm talking about is Tattooed Millionaire, which recently hit its 30th anniversary and was originally released on May 8th, 1990, and would go on to peak at number 100 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. I can still remember picking up my original CD at Record Factory after seeing the video for the title track a few times on MTV's Headbangers Ball. While Bruce would go on to record and release better solo albums later, I've always felt this was a great first solo effort, and his cover version of All the Young Dudes is among one of my favorite cover songs of the 90s. Taken from the 180-gram reissue, which was released on October 27th, 2017, Here's the title track from the album, Tattooed Millionaire. That was Bruce Dickinson with the title track from his first solo album, Tattooed Millionaire. Or, as my brother Vincent and I have jokingly sang it for over 30 years, Tattooed Millionaire! (laughs) Sorry, I had to do it. And as long-standing fans of Iron Maiden know by now, this solo album would prove to be very pivotal, as following the No Prayer for the Dying album, released only five months later in October of 1990, and just as the follow-up album Fear of the Dark was about to be released in May of 1992, Bruce would announce that he was leaving Iron Maiden to pursue a solo career. Fast forward nine years, and through the Blaze Bailey era, which lasted for two studio albums between 1995 and 1998, Bruce would return to Iron Maiden along with guitarist Adrian Smith, who departed following the Seventh Son of a Seventh Son album and tour, to be replaced by Janet Gears, the guitarist who happened to play on Bruce's first solo effort, Tattooed Millionaire. Twenty years ago, on May 20th, 2000, the band would release Brave New World, and it would go on to peak at number 39 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. To me, this is still the best studio album Iron Maiden has recorded and released, during what I've called the New Bruce era ever since Bruce Dickinson and Adrian Smith returned to the band in 1999 and expanded their sound with three guitar players. One of my top ten favorite concerts I've ever attended was soon after this reunion was announced at the Hammerstein Ballroom on July 16, 1999. A little over a year later, my friends and I would follow up on that highly memorable concert experience by seeing them again at Madison Square Garden on August 5th, 2000, with Rob Halford and Queensryche opening up the show on the Brave New World tour. This after just a little over two years earlier when I attended my first Iron Maiden concert ever, which was on July 7th, 1998, and while Blaze Bailey was fronting the band on their Virtual Eleven tour. A concert experience mostly remembered for fans not responding too positively to Blaze Bailey's vocal performance, literally booing after songs such as Heaven Can Wait, and more times than not, being booed whenever announcing a newer track from the Virtual Eleven album. Plus suddenly feeling sick with over a hundred degree fever as it turned out, and having to recover for a few days after that night. I had to sit on the floor for a while so I didn't pass out. So needless to say, the concerts that followed in 1999 and 2000 more than made up for that not-so-great first Maiden concert experience. With all that history having been said, to honor the 20th anniversary of the release of Brave New World and taken from the 2LP 180-gram reissue set, which was released on Black Friday Record Store Day on November 26, 2016, and limited to 2,500 copies pressed, Here's the opening track and first single on the album, The Wicker Man. That was Iron Maiden with The Wicker Man from the album Brave New World, and while that particular album was produced by Kevin Shirley, who they've continued to work with ever since, long-standing Iron Maiden fans are well aware of the name Martin Birch, the producer of all Iron Maiden albums from Killers in 1981 through Fear of the Dark in 1992, before he would retire from being in the producer's chair. Birch had also worked with many other bands throughout his career in the producer's chair, and one of the albums that he may not be very well known for these days just recently hit its 40th anniversary of release. On June 14, 1980, New York's Blue Oyster Cult released their seventh studio album, Cultosaurus Erectus, an album which would go on to peak at number 34 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. On April 27th, 2020, I added a much nicer vinyl copy to my collection via Discogs, along with their fourth studio album, Agents of Fortune, to replace copies I'd picked up at Princeton Record Exchange a handful of years ago. It wasn't too easy to pick out a track that I wanted to feature from this album, but after having tracks in mind, I inevitably decided to play the opening track on this episode. So, from the album Cultosaurus Erectus... Here is Blue Oyster Cult with Black Blade.
0: I have this feeling that my luck is none too good. This sword here at my side don't act the way it should. Keeps calling me its master Part of feel like its slave Hauling me faster and faster To an early, early grave And it howls It howls like hell I'm told it's my duty To fight against the law That wizardry is my trade And I was born to wait through gore I just want to be a lover Not a red-eyed screaming goo I wish it picked another To be its killing too the time and I'm the cosmic champion and a hold a mystic sign.
1: That was Blue Oyster Cult with Black Blade from the album Cultosaurus Erectus. And next up is an album that recently hit its 50th anniversary. Originally released on June 15, 1970, Grand Funk Railroad's third studio album, Closer to Home, would go on to peak at number six on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. And I'm Your Captain, Closer to Home, the album Closer, would become a top 40 hit peaking at number 22 on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. And as long-standing KISS fans are well aware of, former lead guitarist Bruce Kulick has been in the band since the late 90s. I've decided to play my favorite track on the album rather than I'm Your Captain, which has been heard countless times on classic rock radio. It's the second track on the album and also happens to be the B-side for the as-mentioned Top 40 hit single. And the song is called Aimless Lady. That was Grand Funk Railroad with Aimless Lady from the album Closer to Home. And next up is an album which recently hit its 35th anniversary of release. It's the second studio album from R.A.T. entitled Invasion of Your Privacy, which was originally released on June 13th, 1985, and would go on to peak at number seven on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. The track I'm going to play is the first single and video that was released during June of 1985, which would go on to peak at number 40 on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart and would be their second and final top 40 hit at the time. And the song is called Lay It Down. was Rat with Lay It Down from the album Invasion of Your Privacy, who recently seen their first top 40 hit, Round and Round, from their debut LP, Out of the Cellar, re-emerge on the Billboard charts thanks to their recent appearance in a series of amusing commercials from Geico. After already peaking at number 12 in 1984 on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart, It recently appeared on the Billboard Rock Digital Song sales chart at number 18 as of June 4, 2020. And next up is another California band who has just seen the 35th anniversary of the release of their third studio album and also happened to release this album a week later. Originally released on June 21, 1985, Motley Crue's third studio album, Theater of Pain, would go on to peak at number 6, on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and would feature two of their biggest hits of the 80s, with their cover of Brownsville Station's Smokin' in the Boys' Room, and one of the most well-known power ballads of all time, Home Sweet Home. I picked up my copy of the album at the Little Record Store, a few doors down from Record Factory, sometime in 1990, while they were in their phase of unloading any vinyl they had left in stock for $2.99 to convert to an all-CD store. This was just one of many records I was able to take advantage of that decision during that year. Rather than play either of the two singles as mentioned earlier, I'm going to play a somewhat underrated track that I've always liked. It's the second track on side B, and I'm going to send this one out to my girlfriend Teresa, who's the biggest Motley Crue fan I know, and I'm also going to send this one out to my older brother Vincent who happens to play drums in a Motley Crue tribute band here in the tri-state area called Wildside. And the song is called Use It or Lose It. That was Motley Crue with Use It or Lose It from the album Theater of Pain. And next up, we're going to shift gears from the Sunset Strip glam metal scene of 85 to some classic DC hardcore. While I cannot find an exact date of release, this month of June sees the 40th anniversary of the release of the Bad Brains' legendary 7-inch 45 single, Pay to Come, backed with Stay Close to Me which was their first release ever at this point in time. Since I happened to be on the Bad Brains email list, I received an email on April 4th, 2011 about a limited edition red, gold, and green 7-inch bundle set and that there were several extra sets left over after sending copies to record stores involved in Record Store Day and those on the mailing list would have a chance to purchase them early and before Record Store Day would take place so I placed my order immediately and received my bundle of red, gold, and green 7-inch records in about a week before I would end up attending my first Record Store Day event at j and Music World. Taken from the red 7-inch pressing, which has been my play copy ever since, here's the Bad Brains' pay-to-come 7-inch in its entirety, the A-side, pay-to-come, to be immediately followed by the B-side, and one of my all-time favorite songs by the Bad Brains, Stay close to me. The Bad Brains with Pay to Come and Stay Close to Me from the Red Vinyl Reissue Press of their first release ever. And next up is a band who are known as the Godfathers of Heavy Metal, Black Sabbath, who had to make a crucial decision after eight studio albums of varying success with Ozzy Osbourne to fire him from the band. This after he'd already been in and out of the band following the release of their seventh album in 1977, Technical Ecstasy and was actually replaced for a time, only to return and appear on their eighth studio album in 1978, Never Say Die. However, once the tour was completed, Ozzy was finally fired for good, and as the story has been told for decades since, it was drummer Bill Ward who had to deliver the news to Ozzy. The band would go on to hire Ronnie James Dio to front Black Sabbath in 1979, following three studio albums with Rainbow, along with legendary lead guitarist Richie Blackmore, which as many know, was his band following his departure from Deep Purple. The first of three full-length studio albums the band would record with Ronnie James Dio between 1980 and 1992, with Dio originally leaving the band in 1981, and returning after several albums that were recorded with vocalists such as Deep Purple's Ian Gillen and Glenn Hughes and Tony Martin. The first studio album they would go on to record with Ronnie James Dio would be entitled Heaven and Hell, which recently hit its 40th anniversary, having originally being released on April 25th, 1980, and would go on to peak at number 28 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. The track I'm going to play is the opening track and first single on the album released in July of 1980, and the song is called Neon Nights. That was Black Sabbath with Neon Knights from the album Heaven and Hell, and we're not done just yet with music featuring the vocals of Ronnie James Dio. A little over ten years later, his own band Dio would release their fifth studio album, Lock Up the Wolves, which just recently hit its 30th anniversary of its original release on May 15, 1990. The album would go on to peak at number 61 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. This is the first album by Dio that I can actually remember being hyped up as one of his latest releases in the various metal magazines and on MTV's Headbangers Ball, especially hyping the fact that their newest guitarist at the time, Rowan Robertson, was only 17 years old when he joined the band. As a 14-year-old kid at the time, I was intrigued to hear the album. My brother Vincent would end up getting the CD sometime after its release, and I remember listening to it and grabbing a few songs for my mixtapes at the time. Seeing Dio live a few times years later was always a great show experience, no matter who he had in the band. Taken from the 6LP 180gram vinyl box set, A Decade of Dio, which was released on October 4th, 2016. Here's another opening track following Black Sabbath's Neon Nights, and the song is called Wild One. Rest in Peace, Ronnie James Dio. That was Dio with Wild One from the album Lock Up the Wolves. And coming up next is the second-to-last track on this episode and someone who is once again appearing on the I Am Vinyl podcast with this entry, Alice Cooper, as one of his solo albums recently hit its 40th anniversary of its original release. The album is called Flush the Fashion which was originally released on April 28th, 1980, and would go on to peak at number 44 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums Chart. In May of 1980, Warner Brothers Records would release the first single from the album, Clones, Wear All, which would go on to peak at number 40 on the Billboard Hot 100 Singles Chart, and would turn out to be his final Top 40 hit at the time until 1989, when Poison, from the album Trash, would go on to peak at number 7 on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. Since Flush to Fashion was produced by Roy Thomas Baker, who'd previously worked with the Cars on their first two albums, there's certainly a heavy influence by the Cars on this track. Flush to Fashion is also an album that was released before what Alice would call his blackout period of albums, which were Special Forces from 1981 Zipper catches Skin, from 1982, and the infamous Dada album, released in 1983, which saw the return of Bob Ezrin in the producer's chair for the first time since producing Lace and Whiskey in 1977, and just a few years after producing Kiss's most infamous album to this day, Music from the Elder. Taken from the Rhino Records' Back to the 80s, limited green swirl vinyl pressing, which was released on July 17th, 2018, here is Alice Cooper with the as-mentioned first single from Flush to Fashion. And the song is called Clones Wear All.
0: Ugly ones Stupid boys Wrong ones I'm all alone, alone So are we all We're all clones All are one and one We're all All are one and one We're all I'm all alone So are we all We're all clones All are one and one all over.
1: That was Alice Cooper with Clones Wear All from the album Flush the Fashion. As now it's time for the final track of this episode. It's going to be from the ninth studio album by Elton John, which recently hit its 45th anniversary of release on May 19th, 1975. The album is entitled Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy, which would go on to peak at number one on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. I picked up a fairly nice used copy for $3.99 at Princeton Record Exchange a few years back and had recently spun it again, not even realizing the 45th anniversary was soon approaching. The track I'm going to play is easily the most well-known track on the album, and I think it's a great track to close this episode. Released on June 23rd, 1975, Someone Saved My Life Tonight would go on to peak at number four on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. As with many of Elton John's work throughout the 70s, this song features stellar background vocal harmonies, which only make this song even greater to me on top of the overall emotion of the lyrics. So let's listen to it now as we close this latest episode of the I Am Vinyl podcast. Here is Elton John with Someone Saved My Life Tonight.
0: showers sad news hanging in my darkest dreams I'm strangled by your a-
1: Elton John with Someone Saved My Life Tonight from the album Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. And that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the I Am Vinyl podcast, which I hope you all enjoyed. And as always, I encourage you all to please check out our other shows here at CNJRadio.com The Wrestling House Show, Rock Strikes 10, The Synaptic Empire, Talking Rock, and The Last Theater. So until next time, thank you so much for tuning in to the I Am Vinyl podcast for this episode and for the first year since the launch of this podcast. It really means a lot to me that many of you have tuned in and have enjoyed the show and offered your feedback and support since it started one year ago today. And I'll continue to do my very best to produce the best episodes that I can. And with that said, please feel free to write to me and let me know what you'd like to hear on the show and see on the I Am Vinyl Podcast Network on YouTube. So until next time, thank you all again, and I'll see you for our next episode right here at cnjradio.com.